Good morning. Uh, there you go. Good morning. Uh, my name's Tony, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. And, uh, you know, I should play drums more often because about toward the end of that, I got a, I got a, I closed a ring on my watch, an exercise ring. Um, trust me, I've not exercised today except for that, so I should probably do that more often, right? Um, close those rings up, and uh, I won't, I'll tell you a funny story about my wife. One day, I'm, she's walking around, and she's running around the house doing this, and I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, I'm only a few steps away from 10,000 steps. <laughs> Uh, if you've got one of those, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Well, this is week two of our series in Jude. Um, Jude is this little short New Testament book right before the book of Revelation. Um, it was actually written by one of Jesus's earthly brothers. And, uh, you, you know, I, I told you last week, I said, <clears throat> before the resurrection, Jesus's brothers did not look at him as being the son of God. And then, you know, after the resurrection, all of his brothers followed James and, and Judah or Jude, uh, wrote books of the Bible. Uh, they all became Advent, um, just Advent, oh, I can't talk this morning, right? They just became all-out followers of Jesus. And I said to you, what would it take for you, this is how, why I personally believe in the resurrection, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the Son of God? I have a brother. What would it take for you to believe that he is the Son of God? A resurrection, right? I mean, so after the resurrection, his brothers all followed him. Jude is not, I hate to even call it a book of the Bible. It's more like a tweet of the Bible. Uh, It's literally 25 verses. It's very small. You can read it in just a few minutes. It's short, but... Jude gets right to the point. Last week, we learned that Jude wanted to write a joyful letter about their shared salvation to his church. But a big problem was happening in the church that Jude decided, I need to deal with this now. And so this letter, and I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, well, just write two letters. But in that day, you know, it, when you write a letter, the parchment was expensive. You had to, it took weeks or months to get to where it was going. And so when he wrote a letter, he had to write it with a a big purpose. And so this purpose had to deal with not so much the shared salvation that he wanted to write about, but he wanted to write to them about the false teaching that was happening in the church. People were actually falling away from the true faith and listening to a false gospel. And so Jude points out three very big problems with these people, and he uses the history of the Jewish people as examples of what these people are like, these these false teachers, these people that are leading the true sheep of Jesus astray. He talked about them having the sin of unbelief. Their belief in God's method of salvation was flawed. They no longer simply trusted and believed in Jesus alone for their salvation. And I said to you last week in a positive word that grace should always increase your faith, not the other way around. Grace should always make you believe more and more in Jesus, to go deeper into belief in Jesus, to trust Him more. 
Grace builds faith. It doesn't take it the other direction. And then we talked about the sin of pride. They also had this sin of pride. He used the fallen angels as an example. He said they were not content with their position. In other words, God created them, gave them a position, gave them a certain standard of who they were and what, and they weren't happy with that. Sounds a little bit like us, doesn't it, sometimes? We're not happy with God's creation. We're not happy with our, with our position in the world. And so we take matters into our own hands, and that's nothing but pride. And I said to you last week that grace builds humility. When you truly surrender and, and accept the grace of God in your life, it humbles you. You should be humble before God more and more. And then they also had the sin of immorality. They used God's grace as a license to do immoral things, and it was specifically around their sexuality and their sexual sins. But today, Jude turns his attention away from these false teachers, and now he turns his attention toward the people, the congregation. How should they handle this? What should they do with this? Well, Jude wants them, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, Jude wants them to be contenders of the faith. Jude wants them to fight for the faith, the true faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ at his, as it has been revealed through the Jewish people up to the person of Jesus. And even after that, his revelation of grace and love and his revelation of who he is and the work on the cross and, and the grave and the resurrection. All of this, the true faith, this fact that grace transforms us to be more like Jesus... And he wants them to fight for that faith. He wants them to contend for that faith. He does not want them to be surprised that this is happening. Look at Jude chapter 1, because there's only one, verse 17 through 19. He says, but dear friends, see he's talking to the true believers now. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their ungodly desires. Next verse. These are the people who divide you. Who follow mere natural instincts. And do not have the Spirit. Paul. Peter, John, the apostles, even Jesus himself warned us that in the last days there will be people who pop up into the community of faith who will be led by their natural instincts and their ungodly desires and they will create a faith unto their own and it'll look a little bit like Christianity, it'll look a little bit like Jesus followers, but you can tell a tree by its fruit. You can tell a tree by its fruit. And the reason is that this happens is because people will always build their lives on bad foundations every day. Foundations that are not based upon the truth and the way and the life and the person of Jesus Christ, but instead foundations upon what they feel, 
what they think, their opinion, their gut instinct. You know, in this church, I like to tell you, people say, just follow your heart. And I always tell you, no, don't follow your heart, (laughs) right? It'll lead you astray. Follow Jesus and he'll change your heart. People build their lives on bad foundations. Watch this three-minute video. It's a homeowner's nightmare, and it's been going on for nearly 20 years. Basement walls are crumbling. Few seem to know why, and it could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix. Troubleshooter George Colley investigates the link between the homes and what could be causing the problem. This is walls totally destroyed. There's nothing you can do to repair it. Concrete basement walls are not supposed to look like this. The cracks are horizontal, vertical, diagonal. You can't put any epoxy in it. The wall is in a, in a, it's moving now at this point. They're found inside and outside homes scattered throughout eastern Connecticut. At least one a week, sometimes two a week. The phone is ringing pretty much all the time. 50, 75 that I've probably been in. And they're all in the same general area? in eastern Connecticut here? Yes. That space is a result of the wall expanding. Dean Seuss, he's a general contractor out of Tom. Don Childry is from South Windsor. There's close to 75 years experience between them. Neither has come across an issue as serious as this. The fixes, the foundation, the concrete has to be replaced. Replaced, as in removing the existing basement walls and re-pouring the concrete. For homeowners, it's more than just a hassle. You're looking at a minimum of 125000 upwards of 200000 250000 Is that covered in insurance? No. Insurance companies absolutely will not cover anything. We were the first ones. Linda Tofalowski and her husband built this home in Tolland back in 1984. A little over a decade later, the distinct cracks spread through her basement. She contacted her insurance company, which immediately denied coverage for her claim. It was terrifying. As a homeowner, it's your biggest investment. Over the next few years, she says she went to the town, the state, and eventually the courts. No one could help. The Tafalowski spent tens of thousands of dollars out of their own pocket replacing the foundation, then moved to Stafford. We're honest people, hardworking, and uh, it devastated us. Know that we're not going to have a retirement. We're still going to have to work. Linda felt all alone dealing with the problem until discovering she wasn't. The houses that have failed here. Her stacks of files are from homeowners she says she's spoken with who had the same issue. Linda says she learned all the failing foundations were poured between the mid-1980s into the 1990s. Insurance companies immediately denied each claim. And she says there is one more connection between them all. All of these are J.J. Modus. As in J.J. Modus Concrete Company out of Stafford. The theme here is that they were J.J. Modus foundations. Um, I've never encountered anybody that had a a foundation failure such as this um, with with anybody else's concrete. Joseph Callahan's seen this problem as a building official in both Coventry and Manchester. You could have a catastrophic failure of the building. If if the foundation crumbles, uh, it's supporting the wood frame structure above it. Um, It could be, you know, it's a life safety issue. Many know there's a problem. Very few can guess what's causing it. Donald Childry thinks he may have figured it out. There's some bad concrete that's been poured. It has pyrotite in it, and it starts to grow inside the concrete. 
pyrotite is an iron sulfide mineral. Research suggests if in concrete aggregate, the effects could be disastrous. Over time, water and air oxidize the pyrotite, creating a chemical reaction. This causes the concrete to swell, leading to the cracking, eventually separating the home from the foundation. Can you imagine? This is a big thing in Connecticut. Thousands and thousands of homes over a 10-year period, were built with this concrete that had this one substance in it that weakened the foundation. And now they are crumbling. And it costs nearly $200,000 to come in and pick the homes up, replace the foundations, to put them back down on a good foundation. There were some videos I watched that were inside the homes and these cracks and things were falling. People are like, are you afraid it's going to come down on you? Of course they are, right? This is what Jude is talking about. These people in the church are building their lives on foundations that have a bad product in it. A bad thought process, a bad theology, a bad lifestyle. Something in the foundation that is not supposed to be there and it makes it weak. These people have built and are building lives on foundations that crack and give away and they cannot hold up the life that they are building until eventually the life comes crumbling down. So Jude goes right to the people of the church and he challenges them, live differently. Don't build your life on foundations that will crack and give way. Don't build your life on foundations that are going to crumble over time. Jude challenges them to build their lives differently, to be different than the rest of the world, to build their lives on something that is much more firm and than ungodly desires and much more solid than natural instincts. So the question this morning for us is, then how shall we live? How then shall we live? Well, the first thing is we have to build our lives on a solid foundation. Build our lives on a solid foundation. Verse 20, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along there. But you, dear friends, he says, building yourself up in, now listen, the most holy faith. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the foundation being our most holy faith. The most holy faith for Jude is this core belief and this core message that Jesus' life and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of all of life. As followers of Jesus, we embrace this teaching. We follow Him. We learn about Him. We give our lives to Him in every area of life. Our hope is found in Him alone for the forgiveness of our sins, for the restoration of our life, for the reconciliation and the ongoing relationship that we have with God comes from one man, Jesus. That's our foundation. That's what we hold to. That's what we believe. The gospel was necessary when you were far from God but it's also just as important in your everyday life. Jesus told it this way. 
There was a wise man and a foolish man who both built houses. One built it on the, su- the sand and one built it on the rock. And when the waves and the crash and the storm came, the man who built his house on the sand, it washed away. But the man who built his house on the rock, it stayed firm. What was the rock? Jesus was saying, me and my teaching. So the first thing that we need to do and how shall we live, the very first thing that you should do in your life is get the foundation firm and in place to believe to put your hope and faith in Jesus and then Jude goes on to give us three ways that we build up from the foundation so we've got this foundation and now we're going to build a life our relationships our decisions our careers the the things that we get involved in our every other part of life is just building it's the framing and the roof and it's building the rooms of our life in which we live in we get first of all he says we build up our lives by prayer in the holy spirit we build up our lives by prayer in the holy spirit move forward one more There it is. Prayer in the Holy Spirit. Verse 20b says this. Should be there. There it is. And praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, we all pray. I pray. You pray. But usually prayers amount to requests, cries for comfort, healing, Do this, God, for me. Do this in my family's life. Do this in my friend's life. Do this, do that. Typically, our prayers come with a long list. We even call them our prayer lists. We write them on notepads, in our phones. We put them up on our walls. And there's nothing wrong with asking prayer. We should ask God. God is good, and God cares about every decision in life. But what Jude is talking about here is praying in the Holy Spirit. It goes a little bit deeper. It's not just asking prayer, but now he's talking about abiding prayer. Abiding prayer is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means that I pray the heart of God. It means that I open my life. It's more listening and obeying than it is asking. To pray in the Holy Spirit means that I don't just come to God to do things for me, but I come to God to find out His mind and His heart, first about me and my heart, and then about what He has for me in the world. How many of us approach God first? God, search me. God, know me. God, is there any way in me? that needs to be transformed and changed? Is there unforgiveness in my life? Is there sin in my life? Praying in the Spirit means that I join Him in His will on it, as it is in, on, in heaven as it is on earth. As it is in, on earth as it is in heaven. I'll get that right. Praying in the Spirit is joining the heart of God for my heart and the heart of the world. So we must pray In the Spirit, when you build your life, don't just go to God and ask, but also open your heart and life to Him. Spirit, what do you have for me? The second thing that he says that we should do is in verse 21. We should keep in God's 
love. It's an odd thing to say. God loves us. God's love is unconditional. But he says, keep in God's love. As though somehow we can lose our way and forget that God loves us. The, the verse says this. Keep yourselves in God's love. The passionate, the unconditional love of God is not just for those far from God. The word that uh, Jude uses here for keep literally means continue in a state of. Jude is saying, you, Christian, you who are saved, you, believer of Jesus, you who have experienced God's love, now keep in God's love. It's an interesting thing to say to a group of Christians. But as disciples, even as followers of Jesus, we need to guard against slipping back into our merit-based systems and trying to earn the love of God. Watch this clip. Imagine if when you were born, you had to earn your parents' love. If you eat well, if you sleep well, if you don't cause trouble, then you get their love. But if you cry, or if you make a mess, or if you keep your parents up all night, then they withhold their love for you until you get better. That's crazy, right? I mean, any parent that operated that way would be seen as a monster. But the thing is, it's not that crazy. We might not believe this about our parents, but it's how we believe the world actually works. We have to perform in school or our life won't amount to anything. We have to be cool for people to like us. And we have to pour ourselves into our jobs to prove our worth to ourselves. And we hear these messages from so early on. So it totally makes sense that we think this is how God works too. It makes sense that God would only like you if you do this, or God will only listen if you do this, or God will only grant you success if you do this. If we're good, if we do all the right things and don't do the wrong things, if, then God will love us. This might be the way the world works, but it's not the way God works. See, God doesn't love you if, it's actually that God loves you so. God loves you and adopted you into his family through Jesus, so you never have to earn anything from him. You have the freedom to work, not to earn approval, but because work is just inherently good and purposeful. See, God loves you and created you, so you never have to worry about where your worth comes from. You can engage in family and friendships and romance, not to fill a hole, but just because relationships make life better. See, God loves you, and he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to rescue you from sin and death so that you never have to try to save yourself. You don't have to strive to be good because Jesus makes you good. Hey, guys, Jeff here. Thanks for watching this video. I want to give a huge shout-out to Audible. All right, there you go. God loves you. In the foundation of our faith is this idea that We pray in the Holy Spirit. In the foundation of our faith as we build is this idea. We're built upon this truth that the love of God is unconditional. It's not love. God loves us if, but it's so. He makes us good, and in return, because of that love and grace, we want to please Him. We remain in His love. Number three, Jude goes on in verse 21. He also says, you also build your life by waiting for Jesus. Verse 21b says this, as you wait 
for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We should remain alert, Christians, and eager wait for Jesus to come back. As believers, we should live with this constant gnawing in our heart that the world is not right, that there is injustice, there is hate, there is violence, there is brokenness, and nothing can fix that except the Jesus that we follow. And one day, we wait for Him to come and make all things new. We should live with that eager desire as we wait for His mercy to come and bring us this eternal life. So, how then shall we live? We build our lives upon the foundation. We pray in the Spirit. We keep ourselves in God's love and we wait for the return of Jesus. Paul or Jude says this, you need to be contenders. You need to fight for this. You need to go and fight for the true faith. But, and this is important, we do not fight others for it. I know that's interesting. This is the thing that stood out to me with Jude. Even with all that's going on in his church, and he talked about the, you know, the false teachers. When he gets to the people, he says, you need to be contenders. You need to fight, but you do not fight with others. Look at verse 22 and 23. He says this to them. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. So there's this fine line as we fight for the gospel that we also live a life toward others who doubt and others who are far away from God and others who aren't living as we are to be merciful and to be graceful, to come as Jesus came, full of truth, but also full of grace. And here's what I just really take from that, is that the best contenders of the faith are those who actually believe it, those who live in humility, and those who live to be more like Christ every day. And the bottom line this morning is this, the most effective way for you to contend for the faith, to keep the true faith, to fight for the faith, is to live the faith. That's the best way. Not to go out with a picket sign, with scripture, you're going to hell. Not to yell at people, not to disfranchise people, not to push people off the edge, but instead to actually just live the faith. And that will make you a contender. I want to close with Jude's doxology this morning, verse 24. This is for you, church, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, be majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. 
Amen. Father, this morning, may we be contenders of this faith. May we build our lives upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, our true faith, our true God. And may we live our lives in a way that defends the faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.